Well, okay. Let's go back to James, chapter number 5, verse number 16. James, chapter 5, verse 16. I, I don't know about you, but the more I spend in this passage, the more it excites me, the more I think, wow, this is really something we need to know. Um, it's the issue of living faith. And we are called to a living faith. We don't, we don't just have a, a doctrinal statement. We have an action that goes with it. For we believe and we do. And that's what James' book is all about. It's not about those who just be hearers of the word, but they are doers of the word as well. So, as we're working through this passage, I think it's a very important passage for us, and especially verse number 16, right to the end of that, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. This is based on the fact that we are called to pray. And you see the word prayer there. And we've been on prayer now from verse 13, 14, 15, 16. We're talking about prayer. And the highlights of this prayer, I believe, is starts in verse 15. A prayer offered up in faith. I want you to underscore that. That is the key to the passage. We're trying to figure out verse 16 and even verse 13 and verse number 14 and how does that work and what do we do and all these other things. But let's not miss the statement that's right in front of our eyes. It's a prayer offered up in faith. In faith. That comes from somebody who's living their faith. So we're going to dig further into this. We started on it last week and you got part one. Today we're going to get part two on the focus of the prayer of faith. The prayer. That's us. All right? Heavenly Father, help us today to comprehend again what your word is saying, that we might grow thereby, that we might practice these things, that we might be pleasing to you, and see the, the joy of this relationship we have with you and what it is designed to be. Help us to understand it better today, I pray. Thank you for being so patient with us along the way and giving us time to study. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we've been looking at this last week, I'm not going over the first four pages of my ten pages of notes, all right? But just the highlights of what we saw. How to get God's attention, because we certainly like that. Uh, how does a righteous man's prayer accomplish much. How do you get his attention for that? I talked about some examples that don't work. We talked about the prophets of Baal last week in Elijah's day, and I know they were praying to the wrong guy anyway. But they thought that the only way to get attention of a God was to cut themselves, to dance around, to moan, to, to pray hours and hours on end and get louder even. And uh, we talked through some of those things, and those are not effective. <laughs> they don't work. Uh, we talked about that. We talked about Isaiah chapter number 1, how Israel had later become so callous to their relationship with God, they turned it into a ritual. And they would come into his temple. They did everything right if you follow the law. They practiced the sacrifices, the, the right time of the year, the right time of the day. All those things, they were doing them. But God says, I look upon it and it looks like you're trampling my court. 
You're wasting your time because you're coming to me with dirty hands. I see your heart. I see you're not right with me. But all you want to do is worship and go on your way. And he talked about their ritual. And he says, that's not what I want. He says, if you have dirty hands, if you have a dirty heart, come and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they can be as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they can be as wool. He wants them to talk to him. There's a relationship called for in that. And the people would not listen. We talked about that also in 2 Corinthians seven fourteen, that very famous verse. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Now that's not setting up a formula. That's showing a relationship. It's not, did I check off square one and check off square two and check off square three so I could, so God would answer my prayers. He says, listen to what they are. Humble yourselves. Turn from your wicked ways. Seek my face. I hear from heaven. I will heal your land. There's a beautiful passage in there. But that's what the Lord asked for the Jewish people to do. And that's because he could do that. And he waited. And he waited. I just try to picture this at times. If you will, I'll just give you a human picture. God's sitting in his chair. uh, In a human way, we'd say. There he is in his recliner. There's the phone next to him waiting for his children to call. How many years? How many years do they go without... acknowledging him at all. Oh, they did everything, the the rituals and all that, but they never called on his name with a pure heart. That's sad, isn't it? That's the Old Testament story. We've talked through some of that. We saw how that compares to the book of James last week. We went in chapter 1, chapter 4, chapter 2. We looked into all kinds of passages there. So today I'm going to bring you right up to where we are in verse 16. Speaking of the prayer of a righteous man. A righteous man. This is not talking about a faith based on work. It's talking about a faith that works. Faith that produces a work that reflects that you trust Him. That's important. Because we do righteousness because we are righteous. That's very important to understand this. Because that's where we are going this morning. Because I have to ask you this question. I left it with you last week. Who then is the righteous man? Who is the righteous man? There's, there's all kinds of references. There's all kinds of books on how to pray. But whoever stops and says, who prays? Who prays? You ready for this today? Because we're not talking about some lofty individual out there who's got some sort of halo painted above their head. Who, who walks around in robes and very dignified, you know, those kind of scenes we always have uh, of the Old Testament saints or the New Testament saints or the church fathers or such like that. I want to talk to you. You. Me. Is it possible that we can be righteous? The effective prayer of a righteous man. Let's talk about the righteous man. You ready? Here we go. Number one, basics. 
Let's start with basics. The righteous man is one who is right with God. That sounds too easy, doesn't it? Took you back to the first grade, didn't I? He's right with God. We have to start with square one. Because that's what righteousness is. And Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, having been justified by faith, let's underscore that, justified by what? Faith. Not by works, not by ritual, not by church attendance, not by the what you dress as, not by how long you can pray, not by anything else but faith. We are justified by faith. Let's keep going. Faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's because of our faith in Jesus. Not just faith. All right? Don't just say, well, I have faith. And I say, what is it in? Well, it's just faith. Faith has to be in something. You trust something. You have faith in something. What is that something you're going to fill in the blank with? Now, some people think prayer must have something with it, and that's what I'm going to try. Matter of fact, some people say, I have prayer in faith, or faith in prayer. And they start to mix these things together, and they pretty much are saying, well, prayer is the thing that I have faith in. Let me be careful with you here. You don't have faith in prayer. You have faith in Christ. You pray to Christ because you trust Him. All right? The prayer can become a ritual, can't it? It can be a thing. It can be, a, it can be an object of some kind. You can start filling in the blank with, but I go to church and I have faith that that's enough. That's not enough. It's faith in Jesus Christ. Go through the whole list of anything you want in the blank. If it's other than Jesus Christ, it won't save you. That's true. That's simple. Because here it says that we have Peace with God through and only through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. That's where your faith must be. That's why I'm saying, who can pray here? Who is the one who is right with God is the one who's come to God the right way. And Jesus says, I am the way. And I am the truth. And I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. So we set that as our simple diagram to start with here because we have to understand that the one who is right with God has come to him through Jesus Christ. And it goes on in Romans 5, verse 2 to say, through whom, that's Jesus, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. I am a believer because of Jesus. I stand in him and that's given me access to the Father. There's no other way I could have had it. That's what made it possible. So you can't find a back door to this. There's no second option. There's no other entrance. It's only through Jesus. Understand that with faith. It's that important. It's not through your church. It's not through your pastor. It's not through an elder. It's not through a ritual. It's not through a prayer. It's not through a baptism. It's only through Jesus that you're saved. Period. That's what Scripture teaches. Justified by faith. So if you're there right now, that's important that you know it. Because listen to this. Romans 5, verse 8, 9, and 10. 
God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified, by the way, that's the same word as righteous, same word in the Greek, justified being made righteous, by his blood we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. All the way through this it says, by this, by this, by this. And every single answer was Jesus and his death. It was his blood. It was his blood that accomplished it. That's how I could only stand before you and say, I can be justified by faith. I could be righteous in God's eyes. It's because of Jesus. He did it. He did it. Nothing I did. Matter of fact, it gave a very unflattering picture of me being a sinner. And there is nothing a sinner can do to make himself look good in God's eyes. Only Jesus can make the difference. And so we have that beautiful passage there. So again, folks, if you're not in Christ, you don't have this righteousness we're talking about. It's impossible to have it any other way. It's only through Jesus. Here's another one. In Romans chapter 10, you've heard this verse before. For the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. That's verse number 10. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. What does he believe that brings about righteousness? What does he confess that brings about salvation? What is it? If you go back to Romans 10 verse number 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Guess who it is again? It's Jesus. It's faith in him. And because you have faith in him, it says in this passage, resulting in righteousness. Okay, did you hear what I just put together for you? Who is the righteous man? Who is the righteous woman? Who is the, even the righteous child? It is the one who has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he makes us righteous. We say that theologically, it's your position in Christ. Positionally, you have been made right through Jesus. Isn't that wonderful news? I love it. That means any of us can do that, right? It's not based on your education. It's not based on your position. It's not based on your income. It's not based on anything about you. It's based on Him. What Jesus has done for us. We can be right with God. And through faith in Him, you are right with God. That's great news. I love that news. Boy, is that hope. Okay. So who has access to the throne now? Who has access to the throne to pray? Who has the right to pray? Would you be surprised if if I told you that your prayers are through Jesus Christ too? Oh, I want to tell you something, one quick thing. Side note, it's not in my notes, but it's there. Apart from him, you can do nothing, and that includes prayer. Think about it. You can't do nothing 
Even prayer comes back to him. Here's a beautiful passage in Hebrews. You might want to look at it with me. Hebrews chapter 4. It's not that far from James, so just back up a little bit. Hebrews chapter 4, start in verse 14. Let's talk about our Savior. It says, therefore, verse 14. Give you a minute, I hear page is still moving. Hebrews 4.14 Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, and in case you're wondering who it is, it goes to say it, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Now that's a lot of knots. In other words, it says, we do have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. One who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. That's great news. So what do we do? Verse 16. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence or assurance to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Isn't that what prayer is all about? I have a need. I need to tell somebody who can do something about it. I know God can. I want Him to help. So I go and pray to Him. How do I know I have access? How do I know I have His ear? How do I know that I'm allowed there? It's because of Jesus. He made the access for you folks. He made it so you can confidently walk into the presence of God Himself and look for help in time of need. That is a beautiful thing. Back in the 1860s, way back long time ago, even when the office of the president was such a highly lofty position, there was a president named Abraham Lincoln, whose children had access to his Oval Office any moment they wanted. And it drove his cabinet members crazy. Because he'd be in there in a meeting, and one of those little ones would open the door and just come running in and sit on his lap. And they're like, what? This is important stuff. One stayed under the desk once during a meeting. Because he let his kids in. And I think that's quite a neat little picture. Because as busy as we can assume God is with running this whole world and keeping it moving like it does, and all the multitudes of people calling out to him, he hears your voice. Because you have access to his throne. In your time of need, he not only knows your need before you ask it, Matthew tells us that, but he wants to hear it from you. He doesn't have a a sign up that says, come back later. He doesn't have a notice there that his hours are only for certain times of the day. He doesn't say, only meet me on Sundays, please. I'm busy the rest of the week. This is any time you, as a child of him, wants to go to his throne, you have access. Because you're right with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. You're his child. And he's given you the right to come to him. Isn't that a beautiful thing? I love that about prayer. You can approach him and look at him and say... I've got need. I've got need. It's a time of need. And it says that we have confidence to go to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. His doors are always open. I love that. I just love that passage. Here's some insight for you. Righteousness 
is based on a relationship. It's not based on what you do, the things you do, the rituals you do, the practices you do, the way you pray, and all the other pieces. is based on a relationship. A relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ gives you access to the Father. That's the basis. Make sense? That's a simple basis. I want to show you what difference a relationship can do. It's like I said, a prayer of a child to a father. If you folks here in this room should come up to me sometime this week and say, Pastor, I'd like to reserve the fellowship hall. Well, we know who you are. We sometimes say, well, what are you going to do with it? Right? Say, oh, I've got an anniversary coming up, or we got a shower we want to give, or something like that. So, we say, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, we trust you, and so we pretty much say yes, don't we? Most of the time? Yeah, we say yes. We say, okay, sure, we have that. But, it's sometime this week, the phone should ring, and the leader of the Rattlesnake Hunters of America should call. <laughs> now, I looked it up. They don't exist, so I'm not going to get in trouble. All right? Uh, and they should call and they say, we'd really like to use your fellowship hall for our next rattlesnake hunt. Is that okay with you? What do you think I'm going to say? No. no. Number one, I hate snakes. <laughs> but number two, they don't have a relationship with us, do they? They're, they're not a part of us. I would say, no, we, we don't know you. But what if they get fervent in their request? They fervently ask me to use that room. I said, No. What if they, they pray to me in such ways that they're, they're in passion and they great big long words and they call me every ten minutes and keep asking me the same question? It doesn't matter. What if they give me gifts? It doesn't matter. What if they pour oil on me? It doesn't matter. Because there was no relationship. I just touched on the spot I've been wanting to touch on for a while. Did you just hear it and understand it now? So many times we put prayer in the department of the gimmicks. And we forget it's an issue of faith. And faith is a deal related to relationship. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. But once we start on the gimmicks, we can throw every single one out there and say, I'm going to try this, I'm going to try that, I'm going to try to get their attention, I'm going to try to get God to answer me. And it's a relationship all the while. It's a relationship. And here I want to take a step further. You ready? You have no choice. We talk about it positionally, but I also want to address it practically. Because your relationship is not an ID card in your wallet. Flash the card. I'm a believer. That settles it. I could go to God whenever I want. But let me, let me talk to you about something for a minute, practically speaking. Because we are not just righteous. We are to do what is right. Right? We are to live righteously. We are to act it out, as James would tell you throughout this entire book. He's been trying to tell us that, and we're just in chapter 5 alone. But his point is, don't just be hearers. Don't just carry the card. Be doers of it, of that word. Live it out. Practice it. Be an active participant in it. It's not enough just to carry the card, so to speak. 
You know, there are members of this church, honestly, members of this church I have never met. They have never been in this door for the last eight years. I do not know who they are. You can be a member of something and never attend. Some of you have memberships to other things or other clubs or other things. You never touch it. You might have signed up for a membership on the Internet with some program, and you've never touched it. You're not an active participant in it. When it comes to righteousness, it's one thing to say, I'm a member because I've been saved by the blood of Christ. The whole push of the New Testament is, great, now live it. Be an active participant in it. You want to know what a righteous man is? It's more than one who just says it, but he does it. Now, he's not trusting the does it to save him, but he's doing it because he is saved. This is a guy who loves the Lord, and he'll do what the Lord calls him to do. I'm going to read to you a couple of quotes. It's an interesting set. It is the righteous man that understands the force of prayer. The force of prayer has been understood by the really spiritual writers of every school and of all times. They know that prayer is one of the secrets of life. That he who lives prays. And he who prays lives. And he who prays works. And he who works prays. So that a large part of his spiritual life is comprised in the one word prayer. And that's where we find them describing the soul's advance by the character of the prayer which springs from it. I love that phrase. He who lives prays, and he who prays lives. It's very interesting. When you talk about the prayers of a righteous man, that kind of gets my attention, because I, I love grammar. It sounds weird. I hated it in school. But I learned Greek, and I said, wow, this is really cool stuff. And so I'm going to say something about Greek. So, don't turn off. All right? Some people say, well, that's not for me. I can make it for you. All right? You want to learn Greek? Honestly, I'll tell you something on, I could teach you in one year. You want to know it? I'll teach it to you. Just tell me. I will set that up. You can learn Greek. You can. Honestly. It's fun. It's lots of fun. Then you say, Pastor, I know what you're talking about. All right? Let me give you a simple lesson this morning. You ready? When I look at the word uh, of the prayers of a righteous man, of a righteous man, that little phrase there, I say, oh, that's a genitive noun. I say, cool. You say, big deal. It's cool because the potential that's all wrapped up into it, they say this is a very elastic concept to work with. And so you can see three things, and they just jump off my page and let me explain them. One, it means it works like an adjective. It's an attribute of a man. Alright? Of a righteous man. It's talking about the quality of his life. He is a righteous man. Dissect him however you want and you'll find righteous all the way through him. That's a righteous man. Alright? That's his attributes. That's what describes the quality of his life. And I see that and I say, ooh, that's convicting. What do you think? Would you fit in that quality? Would that be the characteristic or the attribute of your life if somebody examined you carefully, went through every single thing you had, dug through your drawers, 
looked at your calendar, watched how you spend your day, would they come to the conclusion you're a righteous man or a righteous woman? <gasps> Let's not go down that road. But that's what the genitive does. I said, oh no, I was hoping for something softer, Lord. He's hitting me with something hard here. So I said, let's move on to number two. What else can it be? It could be the genitive of material. And you say, what's that? That means this is the stuff he's made out of. This is the stuff that made the man. He is a righteous man because righteousness made him. What made you? You see, I went through the basics, didn't I? Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're made right with God, right? You're righteous in God's sight. That's the very basics of salvation. That's what you are. That should be the stuff you're made out of. Because you're not made out of ritual. And you're not made out of practices and activities and that, 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 that. Education, you name it. You're made out of righteousness. The things that God could do and only God could do. So, what's your source? That's the next question for me. What's my source? And that's the third one. The source. The source. Listen to this. This is so cool. The source from which the man derives or depends. Righteousness is the source from which man derives or depends. Let me put it all together for you, and it's real simple. A righteous man has righteousness, is made by righteousness, and depends on righteousness. Not on anything else. But the righteousness of Christ. That's where you find him. That is the righteous man. He has it because of Jesus. He's made of it because of Jesus. And he depends on it because of Jesus. That's the righteous man. Are you a righteous man? Are you a righteous woman? Based on that description, that's what's standing in front of you in this text. I couldn't wait to do this. You know, I had this in my notes for over a week and it's been driving me nuts. Because it's sitting there and I said, boy, I want to talk to you about this. Because this is a matter of a relationship. It's a matter of your heart. It's a matter of harmony with God. Do you see it? It's not something you just do, but it's something you are that launches into what you do. Prayer is what you do because of who you are. Harmony. Harmony with the will of God. Let me read to you this, too, from Andrew, Andrew Murray. Some of you might know him to be an author of a lot of prayer books out there on how to pray in uh, dozens or more. He says in one called The Intercession of Prayer, what is meant by a righteous man? It means sim simply a man of right character. Here on earth, the influence of one who asks a favor for others depends entirely on his character and that relationship he bears with whom he is interceding. It is what he is that gives weight to what he asks. It is not otherwise with God. Our, prayer, our power in prayer depends upon our life. Where our life is right, we shall know how to pray so as to please God, and prayer will secure the answer. The text quotes above all points to this one direction. If you abide in me, says the Lord, you shall ask and it shall be done for you. 
If you abide in me, underscore those words, we receive whatever we ask, as St. John says, because we obey and please God. All lack of power to prayer, aright and perseveringly, all lack of power in prayer with God points to some lack in the Christian life. It is as we learn to live the life that pleases God that God will give what we ask. That's quite a paragraph. But I, I stop with that and I think, all lack of power in prayer with God points to some lack in the Christian life. So, ooh, that's convicting too. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the psalmist said, the Lord will not hear me. You can look that up, Psalm 66, verse 18. See, being fervent in prayer does not mean the prayer is heard. Pouring oil on the head does not mean the prayer is heard. Even evil people can be fervent. <laughs> the quality, Albert Barnes said, on which the success of prayer depends is not the talent, not the learning, not the rank, not the wealth, not the office of the man who prays, but the fact that he is a righteous man. It comes right back down to it. Who is a righteous man? Who is a righteous man? Who is the righteous woman? Who is the one who can pray and God hears them? I'll just give you the bullet points of what we just touched with. Number one, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Made righteous in the Father's eyes because of Jesus Christ. That's key. Number two, I add to it, because a believer ought to feel it this way. A believer who is living righteously. A believer who is living righteously. His hands are not dirty. His mind is not dirty. His heart is not dirty. He is practicing living faith. You see, living faith is not something you just do on a Sunday morning, is it? It's every day. Every hour. We walk by faith, not by sight. The just man shall live by his... What? Faith. Check it. It's important that we understand these things. Now, we just dealt with one little piece of the whole puzzle. But it's an important piece. Wouldn't you agree? This is very important for us. So let's, let's talk to our Lord about this. Because we cannot separate prayer from faith. Just cannot do it. So, Heavenly Father, when we come before you today, we thank you, first of all, for the access we have to your throne. What an amazing thing you have done for us. Absolutely amazing that you would hear our prayer even now. As we gather as a congregation and lift our hearts to you, Lord, we do come with lots of needs. You see every single one of those. We're, we're not blind, blinded in your sight. We're, we're not, we're not, uh, you're not unaware of what we need. You know our people. You, knew our, you know our concerns. You know what we pray for. But Lord, just the fact that we can talk to you, the God of the universe, the God who has saved us through your Son, Jesus Christ, who has made us your children, what a blessing that is, even beyond our words to express. Thank you for doing it. Thank you for giving us this open door that we may come in at any time, lift our concerns before you. But Lord, we want to be conscious of the fact that we're living for you, that we're living for you. 
that there's nothing that hinders our relationship. There's nothing that breaks our fellowship. There's nothing in there that has, has limited us in our access to your throne because of our actions, our thoughts, our ways. We are mindful of all this, and we're so thankful for the blood of Jesus who cleanses us from all our sins. But at the same time, Lord, you call on righteous men. And may we all take that very seriously. May that be the call of our heart, to live righteously. In a day like today, we need it in this country. We need it in this community. Righteous men and women and children who will stand true to what you've called us to be. May we do it. And when we do that, Lord, we see these things come about because of that beautiful relationship we have with you. And the things that you will accomplish in our midst. What an amazing thing that is. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for saving us. We pray this in our Savior's name who made it all possible. The Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.